Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You cannot overstate the importance of trade to the stock market. Today we saw what happens when we get a real sense that we've reached a ceasefire in the trade war with China. That's how we could rally so hard today. Dow surging 298 points. Ah. Up through 25,000 for the first time since March. S&P gained 0.74%. NASDAQ advanced 0.54%. Because while we often act like only the large capitalization stocks like Caterpillar and Boeing, how many, have you heard those? How many times have you heard those are really in the crosshairs here? The truth is, it's much, much bigger than that. So put aside how lasting the truce might be. I'll deal with that later in the show. Let's talk about why this rally actually makes a lot of sense. First, we spend a ton of time talking about selling into China. But today's rally has as much to do with Chinese companies selling into our market as our companies selling into theirs. A full-blown trade war could make life very, very expensive for most Americans. This story was ignored for too much of the day. The most poignant example is retail. The retail stocks have been under pressure because of fears that Chinese goods would become prohibitively expensive. We import so much cheap stuff from the People's Republic that the prospect of the Trump administration putting tariffs on those goods has made investors very worried. So when we heard about the truce, we immediately figured that the consumer is going to be spared the shock of those much higher prices. That's how the department stores, heavily dependent on Chinese-made apparel, managed to put on quite a show today. Macy's hit a 52-week high. It doesn't matter if clothing prices rise because of tariffs or because of raw costs. At the end of the day, Chinese imports are a major reason why apparel is so darn cheap in this country. Almost all apparel retailers buy some goods from China for their private labels. Now, it's possible that over time, they could shift all of their sourcing from China to other countries where they already make goods. But it can't be done overnight. And in the interim, clothing would suddenly become a lot more expensive, crimping their margins, causing the consumer to get sticker shock. Same goes for Home Depot. Again, we don't know the exact amount of goods that are made in China and sold here under various nameplates. But Home Depot managed to rally a couple of bucks, even as some investors, I think, wrongly considered this latest quarter disappointing. I was surprised Costco didn't move up, but Walmart did. Dollar Tree, Dollar General all gained. They, boy, they sell a lot of Chinese cheap merchandise. Of course, the rails have also benefited from China import trade. And the biggest winner is Union Pacific, which shipped tons of Chinese goods from West Coast ports to the rest of the country. Trucks are too expensive. At a time when we're increasingly worried about inflation and how it might force the Fed to raise rates faster than we'd like, the last thing we needed were tariffs on retail goods. So we can all breathe easier now that we've lost what could have been an immediate driver of inflation. I've told you over and over again that it's trade, not the rising uh, interest on the 10-year Treasury that's been hurting stock prices, and the retail element was a huge part of that. Putting the trade war on hold creates a much more positive backdrop for everything. All right, so now let's deal with the Chinese market itself. 
Again, this is not just about huge companies like Boeing and Caterpillar, even though their stocks soared 3.6% and 2% respectively. In fact, Boeing doesn't really need China. There's just so much demand for commercial planes. If the Chinese won't buy from Boeing, believe me, someone else will. We know that Caterpillar does a lot of business in China. They do sell a lot of coal mining equipment. But to me, it's not that. Those are the well-covered stories. Let's spend some time on the non-covered stories, the -the under-the-radar China touch that would have caused the most worry. Because in a plotting global economy, the People's Republic is responsible for a significant chunk of the growth at most multinationals. If the Chinese decided to make it more difficult to do business over there, there are practically countless companies that would have been hurt. Last November, China Daily, that's the PRC's version of Pravda, ran a story headlined, Honeywell Bets Big on Growth in China. As someone who owns some Honeywell for my charitable trust, I was incredibly worried about the lead paragraph. Quote, industrial conglomerate Honeywell said on Friday that China is the single largest contributor to its global growth, and it was committed to expanding business in the country, end quote. How much of a contributor? Get this, 20%. Yikes. Or how about United Technologies? China worries have been a huge burden on its stock. Remember, it reported a blowout quarter, but no one seemed to care. Why? Because 600,000 Otis elevators are installed each year in the People's Republic. No country comes anywhere near China as a market for Otis. If the Communist Party slapped a big tariff on elevators, that would cause some severe number cuts. Consider Illinois Tours. Don't the Illinois Tours. What does that have got to do with China? Well, it has 45 business units in China. No wonder the stock rallied nearly three bucks today after a subpar quarter. How about three? which has struggled mightily of late. Its Chinese business is growing by double digits much faster than the rest of the company. Surgical mass, that's one of their biggest sellers because of the terrible air quality. Emerson owns 40 different legal entities in China, including 23 manufacturing facilities. It's strong sessions. Let's not forget about two other obvious ones that are only obvious if you follow the companies, but not to most people who are uninitiated. I'm talking about FedEx and UPS. These two companies have spent fortunes building out their Chinese exposure. While investors didn't necessarily expect either to be shut down. You know what was worrying people? A possibility that the Chinese government might ensure that UPS and FedEx's planes get stuck on the tarmac while Chinese planes went out ahead of them. China's gotten so important that their stocks ran nicely today, with the always volatile FedEx jumping five points, more subdued United Parcel moving up more than a dollar. And of course, Let's not forget the obvious, which is tech. We know that Apple's growth depends on ever-expanding Chinese sales. Now, Apple manufactures a great deal of its product in China, so it was always thought to be protected. But that didn't stop many investors from fearing a possible iPhone boycott in the back of their minds. What better way for the Communist Party to show it's serious than by cutting off its nose to spite its face? Few consumer stories are more dependent on China for growth than Starbucks, which has moved aggressively into the PRC, opening more than 3,000 stores there. Now, you might think that's not such a huge deal. United States, 13,000, right? But Starbucks is literally opening a new China location every 15 hours. Then there's Nike. 8% of the $60 billion Chinese footwear industry is theirs. Diaper and Kleenex Kingpin Kimberly Clark, largest growth market. In each case, what matters is not the total percentage of sales that comes from China. That isn't the story, people. It's the percentage of the company's growth that comes from China. The People's Republic is the future for many, many companies. So if you believe this truth is for real, then the rally's for real, too. As I've mentioned, only a tiny fraction of the companies that are hostage to Chinese growth. But does this rally have staying power? Here's the bottom line. I think that it has as much staying power as the truth does. Investors will pay more for all these companies that I just mentioned because they're so dependent on China for their growth, not just their sales. That's why I don't think this rally can be rolled back so easily. If you take a trade war off the table, 
you put more points on the table. And that's exactly what happened today. Dave in Florida. Dave. Hey, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you, Dave? I'm good, man. I wanted to wish you a big, big beachside booyah from Miami. Done well. And, uh, yeah. Love, love your opinion on Monster Beverage, given uh, you got dual headwinds coming in. First, you got rising fuel and aluminum prices. And then, you know, a recent shift I've noticed in the grocery stores away from energy drinks and more toward kombucha and cold brew and all these other things. So just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, whether I'm a buyer or a seller. Or no, Dave, you actually correctly nailed it. The, and let's just throw it in the last quarter. wasn't that good, but everything you just said is a problem for Monster, and very few people saw it coming. Now, if you're on the Campbell Soup call, they just point blank say, listen, the can price is just ridiculous. But you're right about Monster. And everything you just said is why I don't think people should be a buyer. And I like the stock for a long time. Let's go to Jess in Tennessee. Jess. Booyah from Tennessee, Jim. Good to have you. Oh, thank you. I'm calling regarding Westrock stock. With a recent recycling ban in China, how do you think this will affect Westrock stock given they are a large consumer and exporter of recyclable corrugated? Okay, I, I missed a part of that broke up. Um, I think that the question is how Westrock will be. A- let me give you what rest, what how, why Westrock was uh, down today, which perhaps maybe is the the excuse me. Oh, could you, uh, could Jess, could you just start the first part of that question? I missed it. Sure. With Westrock being a large um, consumer and exporter of recyclable corrugated, how do you think the ban in China will affect their stock? Okay, this is very important. Westrock stock was down today. My Chapel Trust owns the stock. Why was it down? Because people feel that maybe with the truce, the Chinese will start buying newsprint again from waste management. And that means that, therefore, what could happen is the cost of their raw, their raw uh, material for corrugate is going to go higher. I think they'll be fine. But I do point out that that had been helping their bottom line. I still think their bottom line will be excellent, though. Stuart, New York, Stuart. Yes, Jim, how you doing? I am good, how about you? With the pending oil crisis, nobody seems to be mentioning the oil drillers, Transocean and Diamond Offshore. Aren't they going to come to life one of these days? Well, wait a second. Let's look at this. Let's think about this. Transocean is up 28%. Diamond Offshore, not as much, but not as high quality. I suggest that you buy Schlumberger. My Chapel Trust owns that. I think that's best in show. It's starting to move, but it's still well down from where it's been. Go high quality. Scott in Colorado. Scott. Yes, sir. I've heard a bit of scat on BlackBerry going into cybersecurity. And I'm in the cybersecurity business myself, and I was wondering if they might be too late to the game. I want to know what you think of BlackBerry. Is it a buy? Well, I happen to think BlackBerry's intellectual property is worth about, well, I used to say when it was at 8 bucks, the, the, worth the whole price of the company. BlackBerry's doing quite well. I am not quite sure about their cyber business. I just know that they built a very under-the-radar good business after being over the radar for so long. So I don't mind owning that stock. Last couple of conference calls have been very, very good. All right, the rally has as much staying power as the truce does. And boy, what a breath of fresh air that is. Oh, man, money tonight, International Flavors and Fragrances announced $7 billion deal a few weeks ago. Is it the sweet smell of success, or does the market think it's gone sour? Then Take-Two Interactive has developed some of the biggest titles in the video game industry, from Grand Theft Auto, Max Payne, and don't forget Red Dead Redemption, because number two is coming out. But with the competition the group heating up, how can the company fend off Fortnite competition? And Zillow 
How about this? Zillow Group moved uh, the, the real estate game from the streets to its website and mobile apps, helping its users find a place to call home. But it's also building some serious gains on Wall Street, up 23% over the past year. Could it continue to build on that solid foundation? Or is there a new business line that is worrisome? I'll talk to the CEO. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Wall Street doesn't always know what it wants. Sometimes the market will punish a company for doing something that turns out in retrospect to be a very smart move. I bring this up because two weeks ago, International Flavors and Fragrances, IFF, the company that invents proprietary scents and tastes for all sorts of consumer packaged goods, everything from personal care products to household cleaning products to food and beverages, saw its stock get slammed down more than 10% in a single session. This company's a longtime Kramer fade that's made us a killing over the years. Why did it get hit? Even though IFF reported a very strong quarter that same day, the company the company also announced that it's acquiring Fruit Room, and that's a competitor for $7.1 billion in cash and stock. IFF's only paying a 13% premium, and this deal will give them a lot of exposure to the red-hot market for natural products. The problem? Well, it's going to be a little diluted, but just near term, as IFF needs to raise $2.2 billion by issuing new stock. But i got to say, the numbers look promising, $145 million in cost synergies, and the deal is expected to be double-digit additive to earnings in the second full year. So could this weakness be a buying opportunity as IFF transforms itself into even more of a powerhouse? Let's check in with, check in with Andreas Fibig. He's the chairman and CEO of International Flavors and Fragrances. Learn more about the Fruit Room deal and what it means for the future of his company. Mr. Fibig, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Good sir. Have a seat. Thank you. All right. So I puzzle over this because anytime somebody makes a big acquisition and it's going to be double-digit accretive, I'm willing to go through the, the uh, valley yes. to, to the peak. But I guess there's some people who just say, you know what, I'm going to wait for the equity offering when that occurs. Maybe. What, what we have seen, and uh, we were on the road actually since the announcement oh, and good. talking Tell to me. investors, uh, that in particularly in the U.S., uh, many of the investors don't know Fruit Room very well, despite the fact that this is a, a smaller powerhouse in our industry, which has a huge exposure to naturals, mm-hmm. to smaller customers, which is so important right now, uh, because that's where the, where the growth is, and has some adjacent businesses like Natural Colors, for example, which are very accretive to our growth. So I believe we have to explain more what we, what we try to do, and we have to close the deal in an uh, appropriate period of time. But your company can be nimble. I mean, I know they said there's something like 3,000, 5,000 smaller uh, folks, but aren't, can't you hire a sales force that gets to them, or is that not your style? Oh, we could, but it would take a much, much longer period of time. Okay. If, you, if you look at the customers, we have probably 3,000 customers. Most of them are very big CPG companies, right. and they have 30,000 customers, a lot of smaller and mid-sized uh, customers, and that's what we are after, including the, uh, uh, the portfolio they have. And then I saw that Eastern Europe matters, so uh, yeah. some of these emerging markets are, are uh, good that they have that you need? Yeah, it's very complementary, right. particularly Eastern Europe you mentioned, where we have a very small, a smaller uh, presence. 
uh, on infant footprint. And we believe that this can help us a lot to accelerate our profitable growth going forward. Now, when I was looking at your previous presentation uh, for when you were down at the Consumer Products yeah. Show, you talked about delivering long-term value creation. You said drive, drive enhancements in key R&D platforms, naturals. You could not get where they were just through your own R&D? I would say we have done a very good job already that we have naturals, but they have some uh, supplemental platforms we don't have. And that could be very, very helpful for us going forward to satisfy that consumer demand, which is probably here to stay with all the millennials right. and all the consumer interviews we are doing every well, year. Well, I feel that the, the conference call, they're very involved uh, people in the nitty gritty. But why don't you tell our viewers what are some of them when you say naturals? What are you talking about? So we, we talk about clean label products, products which are not always just organic, but they have a natural ambience, they have clean labels, and it starts in food. I mean not, clean labels mean not a lot of preservatives. Not a lot of preservatives on, on the label, absolutely. Uh, now, uh, like dried fruits? They're yes, to, now absolutely. How does that work? What do they do there? Uh, what we do, for example, we ourselves, uh, is that we take food side streams and transform them into taste solutions okay. with a drying technology. And this is 100% organic and natural. We did it with an acquisition last year called Powder Pure here in Oregon. And some of the technology we are acquiring now is very complementary to that what we have already in our hands. All right. Now, there were some analysts who felt that your fragrance business had accelerated after being muted. How do you feel about fragrances right now? Oh, we feel very, very strong. Uh, we had a very good growth in the first quarter, 8% uh, uh, top-line growth. And uh, we have seen that volumes are coming back, that our win rate is, is very, very, very strong. And what is helping here as well is one of the acquisitions, a smaller one, was an active cosmetic ingredients. Very strong double-digit growth, Lucas Myers Cosmetics, since we acquired it. That. And that's very helpful with some of our major customers. So talk, about, talk to me about the cross-selling opportunities, because uh, they weren't fleshed out enough, and I bet you they're yeah. substantial. That's something uh, we have not too much embedded in our numbers, but I firmly believe this is mid- and long-term probably the greatest value creation opportunity. Tell me. Because if you look... At some of the adjacent businesses like uh, natural colors, where we still have the trend in the U.S. going from synthetic to, to natural, if we sell this into our customers, if we see the uh, food uh, protection business into our customers, on the other hand, you see IFF technology like sweetness modulation going into their customer base, that will create a lot of top-line synergies and bottom-line synergies as well because there's not much overlap between the 3,000 customers we have and the 30,000 they have. It's actually huge. And every new technology we are acquiring goes now in a much, much broader customer base. So the value creation opportunity is much bigger. All right, so uh, talk to me about these millennials, how we know what they yeah. like. So we do around about uh, 500,000 consumer interviews every year. Many of them are millennials, and we, we figure out what they need. And it might be different, actually, from region to region, because taste, for example, is a very local thing. It might even different within the, within the country. We know that in Brazil, for example, the flavor for blueberry yogurt in the northeast is very different than, than in the south, and we try to accommodate that. Now, are you doing much work for the actual supermarkets themselves in private label? 
We do some work on that, absolutely. And that's where Fruit Arome does even more work, and that's very helpful. Right, because they signaled out some, some supermarkets. Yeah. I said, geez, you really got to go where they are because they're growing so fast. Some yeah, of these, uh, no farmers. private label. And maybe we see the development here in the U.S. as well. Europe is already very, very strong on private label. Yeah, excellent. Okay, well, that's Andreas Fibig, the chairman and CEO of International Flavors and Fragrances. Look, guys, this stock is down almost 18%. That does not make sense to me. Not because with an acquisition that next year is going to be just so accretive. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, does Take-Two Interactive have what it takes to capture the imagination of gaming's next generation? Yeah, a lot of people bury the lead. I'm going right there. Kramer sits down with the CEO. Modern gaming is connecting players across the globe and even bringing the best of them to packed arenas. Will changing times be just the challenge that brings Take-Two to the next level? Not long ago, everyone was freaking out that the big video game publishers were in the crosshairs of these popular new battle royal style multiplayer games as Fortnite, Player Unknowns, Battlegrounds, the stocks of Electronic Arts, Activision Blizzard, and Kramer Uberfave Take Two Interactive. Well, they all sold off hard. But when we actually heard from these companies, the numbers were excellent and the stocks have caught fire. Consider Take Two Interactive, TTWO. That's the company responsible for Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption, and a host of other incredibly popular sports titles under the 2K banner like NBA 2K18, WWE 2K18. Now, this stock was already running off of the pin action from EA and Activision. It's up about 25% from its early April lows. That's the context you need to understand when looking at the quarter they just reported last Wednesday night. Now, the numbers themselves were a little complicated, even though Take Two gave you strong top and bottom line beat. Management's full year revenue guidance was pretty tepid. So they pushed out a major new release that was assumed to be the new Borderlands title to the next fiscal year. But the stock shrugged it off and actually ended up rallying a bit because everybody's focused on Red Dead Redemption 2, which comes out in October. Expect to be a major blockbuster. So can the stock keep climbing? Let's take a closer look with Strauss Zelnick, the chairman and CEO of Take-Two Interactive Software. Hear more about the quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. Zelnick, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Strauss. Thank you so much for having me. Well, first, let's a lot of people bury the lead. I'm going right there. 25 years. Happy anniversary. Thank you very much. I've only been there 11. All right. But but still, what it says is this franchise is still got great growth. You have a moment in the conference call where you talk about how come there's so much media consolidation. And you say it's because the ones that are consolidating don't have that kind of growth. What's the secret? Well, in in our case, the secret is unfortunately pretty well known, which is we're in the only growing sector in the entertainment business, which is interactive entertainment. And our cohort is about 37 years old. And you continue to enjoy the entertainment that you grew to love when you were 17 for the rest of your life. So that cohort will continue to grow as people naturally age. So the wind is at our back. Now, what we do with it is a separate issue. We still have to execute. Now, Grand Theft Auto, at one moment again in the call, 95 million, calling it the greatest entertainment property. I'm thinking it may be the greatest sales of a product in any consumer market, especially at that price point. Well, I'm not sure. I think uh, we're beat by iPhone and a number of okay, other products. Okay, that's a good point. Uh, but 95 million of entertainment is an extraordinary. Market Watch says that it's the highest-grossing entertainment product of all time. Uh, the most important thing is it's the highest-rated rated game in, okay. for this console generation. That consumers love it, 
and that more than four years after its release, Grand Theft Auto Online just had another record year. That's amazing. Now, uh, another thing that I thought was important, you don't buy back uh, stock if you don't think it's worthwhile. You spent a fortune buying back stock this quarter. Right. We spent in, in, at in the Northern. end of 18 and the first quarter of fiscal 19 about $300 million at an average price of $99 a share. And you know, Jim, there, there are three ways we, we treat our capital. Organic growth, inorganic growth, returning capital to the shareholders. We like to do buybacks when we perceive there's deep value in the marketplace. Right now, that looked like a pretty good decision. Right. It'll, we'll see how it is in the fullness of time. You gave an actual explicit date for Red Dead Redemption. Risky to do that? Uh, hand on heart, it's October 26th. Now, Here. I want people to understand, this is a studio. Uh, two brothers actually do the great work at the studio. And they're artists. And the last thing you're going to do is tell an artist what to do and when it's due. So they've told you that it's good. That's right. When I said hand on heart, it's it's over a thousand people at Rockstar Games okay. with their hands on their hearts. All right. Now, uh, we talk a lot about NVIDIA and the revolution in chips uh, for graphics. Play into all the different things you want to do? Absolutely. We have t technology forms the backdrop on which our artists create. Okay. And one of the reasons this is such an exciting medium is that we still have a very steep upward curve in what technology will enable us to do. And that's not ending anytime soon. You mentioned uh, in the call that Westerns tend to, people don't think Westerns are that good. What's the secret here? Uh, well, conventional wisdom before we launched Red Dead Redemption was that Westerns don't work in video what? games. That's no longer conventional wisdom because Red Dead Redemption was a huge hit. Uh, I think now the question is, Westerns seem to find their moment uh, at certain times, and I believe this is one of those moments. Now, Fortnite, uh, you say it actually expands the category. Uh, obviously, that's been proven empirically. Uh, why did people, do you think, well, you can't control the market, but people seem to think that it was going to take away from you, but it's very different audiences. Well, first of all, Fortnite is a free-to-play title. Secondly, it, it apparently speaks, at least anecdotally, to a younger audience. And there seems to be a good deal of evidence that those who are playing Fortnite are new to the category. And as they age, you know, they will obviously be consumers of more mature titles. And currently, they can consume titles that are rated for everyone. Uh, my view is that it would be great if we could corner the market right. on all hits. That's right. not realistic. Right. The emphasis on innovation, not derivation. Okay, NBA 2K, anything to worry about? You did say it wasn't as good as you thought it was going to be in terms of sales. No, no, it had another record year. So they No, no but you did say in the when you gave guidance that you didn't that you were surprised. When we were we were surprised is we guided up the fourth quarter and we fell a little bit short from our okay. expectations. We still sold in 9 million units up 17% year over year. Recurrent consumer spending was up 34%, another record year for the title. It, it's continuing to boom. Okay. How was that March 8th meeting with the president? Uh, it was interesting. Oh, <laughs> well, it's kind of a broad ranging word there. Um, you know, I haven't talked a lot about it publicly. I, I, I think that the truth is that when you're asked to show up and have a conversation on a serious topic, you show up. Mm -hmm. Our position is plain. Okay, it's been consistent, and I know that the president also talked about movies, so it's not like he was picking on video games. Not at say. all. Uh, private, uh, the, your, your private product? The, private uh, division. Private division. Right. Uh, it's a lot of names. Uh, when do, can we expect something big? Or you, what have you seen? So it's, we have, private division is intended to bring the independent developer community right. into our publishing family. So they, family. Think, they think to go to you, otherwise they would what, do it on their own and not make it? Do it on their own, get independent capital. I think these are very, very highly creative, successful developers. They have, they have availability 
uh, they have uh, capital available to them. We had to make them comfortable that they could be within the four walls of a major publisher and still have creative freedom. And, and what this allows us to do is expand our footprint beyond the incredibly creative people who already work within the Take-Two family to independent developers. We won't have any releases in the, in the current fiscal year. We expect them thereafter. Well, good. I, hate I don't want guidance on that <laughs> because I, obviously you want creative freedom, and right. that is also sometimes in conflict with Right, guidance. so you should have no expectations. Excellent. Thank you so much. That's Strauss Zelling, Chairman and CEO of Take-Two Interactive, which is just in a growth path that is, well, it's, it's still accelerating. We have money's back after the break. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Listen, I've got to be discouraging. <laughs> discouraging. What a, what a great message for someone I've coming out of school. I've got to be discouraged. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. we're supposed to make of Zillow here. For the last couple of years, this has been an excellent performance. Stocks nearly doubled since May of 2016. Zillow has become the king of online real estate in this country. If you wanted to know what a home was worth or find listings, their site is the place to go. Then last month, Zillow told us that it was getting into a whole new business. They're actually begun to buy and sell homes on their own. Maybe you think this makes sense. After all, who knows more about the value of real estate than Zillow? But Wall Street was, let's say, uh, far from thrilled with the move. Investors love Zillow's high-margin advertising-based model. They don't see the appeal in moving into a risky and capital-intensive business like flipping houses. Stock initially got slammed in the news, but it didn't take long for Zillow to bounce back. But it's also given up some of those gains after reporting two weeks ago. Even though the latest quarter was a total non-event, the company already pre-announced a great quarter. Look, I don't blame anyone for being confused by the company's new turn. So let's dig deeper with Spencer Raskop. He's the CEO of Zillow Group. Get a better sense of how how his company's doing, and why he likes the new direction. Mr. Raskoff, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Spencer. Thank How you been? Nice to have you. Thanks. All right, Spencer, I, I have a quandary. Yes. Because uh, my wife's in real estate, and we all know. I mean, she's street easy in the Bible. She swears by it. Everybody likes to see how much their home is worth and uh, by looking at your site. And the, obviously, anybody who gets the premier level really does incredibly well. So why do a pivot, given the fact that business is pretty darn good? Business is good. We don't think of it as a pivot. We think okay. of it as an extension. So, you know, what's happened in the whole economy is consumer expectations have changed. They want to press a button and have magic happen, whether it's in food delivery or transportation or consumption of media. And that revolution is coming to real estate. So what we're doing with instant offers is we're letting a homeowner get an instant offer for the sale of their home. And that's very appealing to a lot of consumers. So uh, you're right, it has been controversial, but we think we can mitigate risk and we think the opportunity well, is large. you made it controversial. You called it what you like to take. This is the biggest swing. And I, I gulped because I said, <laughs> I love your model. It's got no cost. It's just one of the least risky business models and scalable yeah. models I've ever seen. Well, we, we think of it like Netflix moving into originals. So it was a big okay. swing for that's Netflix. That's a very good view. I wish and, you'd use that. That's good. <laughs> better late than never, I guess. But, um, you know, what they did was they used their data advantage, and then they built that muscle memory, that DNA, to right. be creative. And it was a big swing for them, and, and obviously it's created a huge business. Amazon moving into AWS, what? similar model extension. So for us, we think it is additive to the core. The premier agent advertising business, as, as you mentioned, is selling advertising to real estate agents, 
Most people are not going to accept the offer that we make for their home. Okay. Most people are going to want to sell their home conventionally. When they do, we will hand them off to a premier agent. So it, it actually enhances our core business while still opening up new opportunities. You're in two of the hottest markets. Now, is that necessarily a great test for what's going on in the rest of the country? Well, the home price appreciation that we're seeing provides a bit of a tailwind if we're going right. to buy and sell homes. But actually, we think in a slower market, our offer, relatively speaking, might seem more attractive to a seller as well. So it, we think it's appealing to sellers in both types of markets. I remember speaking with Michael Corbett, who's a terrific banker in city, and I used to say, why don't you keep these homes that you've got? You've got them on the books and when housing was going down, but now it's going up and you're selling them. He says, oh, no, they're just such a bear to maintain. What about you? You have to maintain. Well, we're just going to sell them quickly. So we're going to okay. sell them after just a couple of weeks or maybe a couple months. I mean, the, the model calls for at, at most 90-ish day turn time. And we think that because we have access to buyers using our websites, we can actually pre-market the home. Almost before we, before we buy the home, we can start selling it to a potential buyer. So you'll see days on market come down. That is a big driver of return on equity as well. So we're not going to buy and hold. We're buying and selling. Right now, one of the reasons, again, I like your models that I didn't really care how quickly the Fed raises rates. Uh, some impact in just one of your divisions, small, on our rising rates. But are you doubling down on that one division? And it worries me because I, I know you're going to do well as rates go up. Yeah. So, I mean, our mortgages business uh, doesn't like higher mortgage rates. Right. Um, and so we had a bit of a challenging mortgage quarter. Um, some of that was self-imposed. We made some decisions to reduce some mortgage right. links on the website to improve the user experience. The homes business, we think, will do okay in rising rates. Again, it's all about offering this service to a seller. We don't think of it as a flipping business. Flipping is really about taking advantage of a distressed seller. What we're right. trying to do is provide a service to a seller so they don't have to deal with the, with the difficulty, the complexity, the uncertainty, the time of selling. I mean, I would figure with your big data model that you really would know more than anybody else, though, right? We, I mean, we, you've we, got a real sense of how long some property. Similarly, you've got the comps everywhere in the whole country, Yeah, right? we have a huge advantage in this business, right? We have access to sellers because they're using our website to find right. what the home is worth. We have data on buyers. Before we bid on a home, we know how many people are looking for a home like See, that. I thought that was really good. We can reduce days on market because we can pre-market to a seller. So we have a lot of advantages here. Imagine the buying experience, buying a home owned by Zillow, where a buyer can use an app to open the door. Uh, they can uh, get a mortgage from right. us or from one of our partners. They can use a premier agent to close the transaction. I mean, this is, this is what the on-demand economy is all about. Touch a button on your phone, have magic happen. Well, I do worry, though. I mean, this is a different skill set. It is. And I know that there are people who have periodically screwed up in this, particularly in a hot market. Spencer Raskoff, you are, to me, a technologist. But this is a bit of a... a different sort of capital-intensive business. You're right, and we've gone out and hired the best in the business. Okay. So uh, the, the the team that created Colony America Homes and merged with Starwood I know Waypoint, those guys back. Yeah, really Eric Crower, Ryan Berry, um, you know, this, this team, game. Josh Swift, that team that sold to Invitation Homes, this is the team that bought 35,000 homes through the recession and created one of the largest REITs here. That's the team that we've acquired, essentially. So that team is the team running instant offers, buying all these homes. You're right. We're tech people, and we went out and got real estate operations expertise. Fair enough. One last question. I always still regard it as don't get mad, real estate porn, people checking their, their value of their houses. Housing's going up throughout the country. More checkers, more business? For sure. 175 million people using our websites every month. There is a little bit of voyeurism in Zillow and in the real estate brand that we have, and that's okay. We welcome that type of traffic. Real estate is sport, and we, we embrace that. Well, if anyone is going to get it right, it is going to be Spencer Raskoff. That's Spencer Raskoff, CEO of Zillow Group ZG. Mad Money's back after the break.
letters to 48 newspapers asking, no begging for a job. You know what I have here? I have here 48 rejection letters. I kept every one of them. First lesson, it's okay to fail, but it is not okay to quit. Well, there we go. That's uh, my stepdaughter, Charlotte Detweiler, graduated from Bucknell this weekend. And my wife, Lisa Detweiler, is on the board of trustees. And I want to also thank Bill Detweiler, who is the father of Charlotte. And that was some great weekend. John Brobman, president of Bucknell. I really appreciate the opportunity. And, well, all enough talking about myself. It's been enough for the last 48 hours. And now it is time. It's time for the lighting round. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's time for the lighting round. I'm going to start with Mauricio in Florida. Mauricio. Hi, uh, Jim. Calling from Miami. Uh, I would like your take on Royal Caribbean. All right. Royal Caribbean people are too worried about raw costs. They're too worried about the idea that there are too many ships coming on. They're wrong. I think it's a buy. Let's go to Robert in Florida. Robert. Hey, how you doing, Jim? Good. How about you? Good. I've been a fan of Allergan for multiple years. In the last year, I've cost averaged it down continually. Should I strengthen my position now? Sell half or sell it all? You know what? We're very similar in ActualersPlus.com. I have said that that has been my worst stock in uh, in about the decade. Uh, I still would like to believe, but it is just not acting well, and I'm not going to tell you to buy any more here. Let's go to Dave in Massachusetts. Dave! Booyah! What's up, Kramer? How Booyah. you doing? I am good. How about you, partner? I'm all right. My question to you is Tyson Foods. I'm in 50 shares. Should I... Uh, should I sell off? I think I the stocks have? come down a lot, but I have no catalyst. And people did not like that last quarter to be candid. And I, I, uh, I hesitate to go where every, everybody else is fleeing when they're so, in that food group. It's so darn hard. So I'm not going to pull the trigger here. Let's go to John in Louisiana. John. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Thank you. Hey, uh, I'm looking at an oil company that I would like to buy, and I'd like to get your take on it. It's Carrizo Oil it's and It's too late. I mean, unless oil is going to go to 90. I mean, Carrizo had this incredible move, raised some capital, really well-run company. I wish they'd come back on. They're smarter than the average bear in oil. But you know what? As much as I'm bullish on the management, I have to say, don't buy, don't because buy. of the incredible move. Let's go to Angie in Tennessee. Angie. Booyah, darling. It's your stock trading songwriter. I bought Valiant in the team. Should I ring the register? No, no. Joe Pop is doing a great job. Now, it's not going to run fast, okay? But it's had a great move. Joe's doing so much good. He's got a good pipeline, fixing the balance sheet, got him out of legal trouble. I can't tell you to take profits. I think you can still go higher. Michael in New York. Michael! Hey, Jim, calling out from Long Island. I uh, wanted to thank you for taking my call of and course. give you a shout-out for all the dissemination of good information. Uh, I uh, sure do try out here. Let's. Uh, how can I help you? Thank you. Calling my stock of the day, for your opinion, is OKTA. It's uh, 
gone up over 50% this year. I've actually averaged up on it. And I wanted to know if should I stay. I, I can't tell you to pull the trigger. It's actually doubled that. It's up almost 100%. It is a very good company, but that is way too much for me to be able to come in and say bye. So I'm going to say hold. Let's go to Will in Texas. Will. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Uh, I was wondering what you thought about CRISPR Therapeutics. Oh, Jesus, another one that has just run so much. I, you know, again, I mean, I know this is going to sound like I've gotten bearish. I don't mean to say this, but here's a stock that's up 175%. And I have to say, I'm not saying this ship is sailed. I am saying that it would be irresponsible for me to come in and say, now's the time to buy CRISPR, so I'm not going to do that. Parish in Texas, Parish. Hey, Julio, Jim. Oh, yeah. Sorry about your Sixers. Uh, my question is about uh, WBA. Walgreens, are we still going to buy or sell? I think it's too low to, to sell. My inclination is much more to be a buyer down here than a seller. I think that people hate it. Too. It's overly hated. So I'm going to say, bye, bye, bye. And let's do one more. Let's go to Andy in New York. Andy. Hey, Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Thank you for taking my call. Quite welcome. Talk is Southern Company. Symbol SO? Southern's come down too much. Okay, it's come down too much. As is Dominion. I just gave you a two for both of those are down too much, and they presume interest rates are going to go to three and a half immediately. That's a tenure. I don't think so. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Was it irrational that the stock market took off on the trade truce we heard about over the weekend when it's so short on specifics with no real agreement in hand? I talked about just taking a war off the table is great for stocks at the top of the show. But can there possibly be something real afoot that could help corporate growth? Or is it all for show? The president is crowing about how farmers will do well, and the administration's adamant that we'll sell a lot of energy-related products to China. But that's all well and good. American farmers already do darn well. It's one of the most heavily subsidized industries in the country, and they have plenty of markets open to them already. As for energy, the liquefied natural gas we produce is mostly spoken for for years, except for some that will come from Alaska. And we already had a deal to supply the Chinese with the stuff when possible. Neither is much of a breakthrough. As I mentioned again at the top of the show, today's rally is not about farming or energy. It's more of a relief surge based on the sense that we're not going to have a knockdown, drag-out confrontation with China that lasts forever and has bad pin action all over the place. But how about new opportunities in China? Any real hope here, given how almost deliberately stifled our trade is in PRC? Or are we dreaming? One of the president's tweets about our potential growth did sound very positive, and I quote, on China, barriers, tariffs to come down for the first time, end quote. When the president's chief economic advisor, my former partner, Larry Kudlow, came on Squawk on the Street this morning, we drilled down on this comment. And if, if what he says turns out to be true, then I've got to tell you, it could be a genuine game changer. It's not PR. Right now, many of our companies are forced to have these 50-50 joint ventures with local Chinese affiliates if they want to operate in China. That, of course, crimps their profitability. More important, though, is that the Chinese get invaluable information about what our companies do and how they make what they make. Those joint venture partnerships are then able to pretty much steal our intellectual property. That's a major sticking point. Larry very specifically said that American companies won't necessarily have to do these joint ventures in China anymore. Maybe they can go solo. They might be able to simply sell their products without giving away the store. That would be huge. 
Second, secondarily, Larry said he believes that many of our financial firms may be free and unfettered to do business in China by themselves. Now, that has always been a big issue with me, which is why for a long time I've simply dismissed the idea that China will ever be a real profit center for the likes of Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan. Token business, maybe. Not like they can do in other countries, though. Same thing goes for the credit card industry. American Express, for example, has only recently been cleared to submit an application to business in China. That's something they've tried to do for 14 years. All right, it's positive. But again, what did it do? It has chosen to do so with a partnership with a Chinese mobile payment provider. If China gives our credit card companies a chance to do directly the kind of business they do in other countries, now that will be a major positive we're paying up for. Remember, Larry worked in the Reagan administration, which had a trust but verified relationship with the old Soviet Union and its missiles. He's speaking of building a similar relationship with China. Of course, as much as I like and respect Larry, that's still a mighty big if. These are ongoing negotiations. Who knows where they'll end up? But if everything does go according to plan, then it's possible we could have a really positive outcome here for American business. Stick with Kramer. With all the talk about trade and these big industrials doing so well, Micron was the star of the day. That was up the most. And I've got to tell you something. You want an opportunity if you think you missed things? NVIDIA was down to today. And I think NVIDIA is every bit as exciting a story as many of the stocks that rallied. Let's not forget Intel, which is incredibly cheap stock and didn't do well after it reported that quarter, I think because of China worries. Well, if we take China worries off the table, then Intel may be the cheapest of all. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.